Involve. Solve. Evolve. Welcome to Cloud Crunch, the podcast for any large enterprise planning on moving to or is in the midst of moving to the cloud. Hosted by the cloud computing experts from Second Watch, Ian Willoughby, Chief Architect Cloud Solutions, and Skip Berry, Executive Director of Cloud Enablement. And now, here are your hosts of Cloud Crunch. Welcome back to Cloud Crunch. Today, I am joined by my co-host, Skip Berry. Skip. Hey, good afternoon, Ian. Good afternoon to you. And we have a special guest today, Joe McKendrick. Welcome, Joe. Thanks, Ian. Great to be here. I look forward to uh, an enlightening session. And maybe I'll provide some enlightenment. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, to introduce Joe here, he's a uh, contributor and analyst to Forbes, CBS Interactive, Information Today, Inc., and rtinsights.com. He's also an author, independent researcher, speaker, exploring innovation, information, technology, trends, and markets. He's a regular contributor to Forbes and ZDNet as well. Much of his research work is in conjunction with Forbes Insights and Information Today, covering topics such as cloud computing, digital transformation, artificial intelligence, big data analytics, He is a co-author of the SOA Manifesto, which outlines the values and guiding principles of service orientation in business and IT. All right. Well, I mean, Joe, that's quite a background that you have there. Quite impressive. Quite a list. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But today, you know, we're going to talk about some of the promise of multi-cloud kind of strategies. It suggests that enterprises should be able to run their applications and workloads in whatever cloud environment makes the most sense from a cost and performance, of course, functionality perspective at the moment in time. So in theory, that's how multi-cloud is supposed to work, but the reality of the situation can be very different in practice, as we all know. As enterprises grapple with how to best make technologies created by competing suppliers play nicely together. I want to hear more about that, of course. So let's let's kind of dive into this, Joe. It's, you know, again, thanks for being on our show. And I think we're going to get some great insights out of you today. Yeah. Hey, I'm super excited around this as well. Coming from my former background, all all cloud on-prem to here now working for a, you know, cloud native company. Uh, so Joe, uh, a good place to dive in Give us the uh, contrasting view, if you would, from application developer to IT-centric infrastructure view, if you could, how that's evolved and where that actually stands today in realm of uh, hybrid cloud. Well, interestingly, I think from the perspective of application developers, you know, the move to cloud doesn't change a whole lot in terms of the, the structure of their jobs and the structure of what they need to do. It's simply a, for lack of a better way to put it, a change of venue rather than applications, uh, systems, uh, functionality residing in the same building in the data center. It's been moved out. It's been shifted outward to Amazon Web, Web Services and Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud or, or wherever uh, it's been most yeah. optimal. Yeah. So if they're already doing some sort of agile or what have you, they wouldn't barely notice any difference. Exactly. Exactly. There's that first move, you know, that first migration, if you will. And often it's it's seen as a, a cost-saving measure. You know, you're, you're moving from the, the CapEx to the OpEx uh, type of model. You know, you go into a multi-subscription plan. But as things move along, that's where you begin to get some, uh, you know, sometimes some surprises. Uh, other, and, and in other ways, uh, their eyes begin to open up a little bit more. There's there's more potential for different types of applications, more robust applications, uh, new types of applications, new types of innovation. 
And this happens further on down the road as as uh, cloud uh, introduces its flexibility. Right. Um, there's some often some I don't know if you call it nasty surprises or some unexpected surprises in terms of cost. You know, you go into a monthly subscription model. And everybody begins to log on and, and uh, start using these services. And next thing you know, you're getting bills, these, these humongous bills from your cloud provider that match the cost of uh, buying the equipment in the first place. Right. We thought VM sprawl was bad, uh, let alone uh, now you have cloud spend sprawl. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. there's some kind of a law. Um, I, I can't think of the exact name of the law. You know, it just says. When you build an expressway out into a rural area, you think it's going to help reduce traffic congestion. But that expressway creates shopping centers and uh, all kinds of sprawl along that stretch. So that eventually becomes clogged anyway. Yeah. Um, there's a name for it. I forget what it is. They owe some kind of Murphy's Law. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 We, we see that in Atlanta all the time. We expand the highways and they get more congested. So mm-hmm. it seems to slow it down. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that's how it works with cloud. You know, you have you know, this, this great functionality with cloud and uh, everybody starts building along this route, this cloud route that you've established and uh, that becomes clogged and, uh, you know, the, the cost began to accelerate as well. So similar to urban sprawl, we have cloud sprawl as we've touched on mm-hmm. and then managing multiple clouds obviously creates a lot of complexity for the organization. What are some of the areas that can help that you've seen out there as far as the management and you know, even looking at the operating systems and then different expertise that an industry or a, an enterprise needs to cultivate to prevent these types of things? Well, that's a, <laughs> that's, that's, a that's a tough question <laughs> to answer because, um, you know, the cloud providers themselves uh, provide some uh, pretty decent tooling to help monitor and, and manage what you're doing with their services. There's a, uh, there's a lot of great monitoring and management tools, but when we begin to talk about multi-cloud or hybrid cloud, even you have these different environments, and you're, you're you're attempting to manage and monitor various different types of environments, and that becomes a, a challenge. It, it becomes a real challenge to uh, to I departments and uh, as well. I think you see the failing of adoption happen there is, is the, if the mindset doesn't evolve, right? The, the technology evolves and the, and the platforms evolve. And then if the, you know, human aspect doesn't come along, this is where we see a lot of uh, folks failing, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and we saw it in the uh, on-premises IT world as well. You know, you, you had a point where you had uh, many different operating systems, for example, in an environment. You had, you know, it, it, I'm going to date myself here, but if you look back at the 90s, you know, you had Unix, you had these Unix server farms, you had Windows come into the picture, you saw mainframes, and these all required different forms of expertise. There's different tools to monitor these different environments. There was the challenge of attempting to integrate, be able to move data between these environments. And to some extent, we're seeing that with these uh, various cloud environments that uh, that are on the picture as well. We, you know, we're, the technology is a little more integratable, shall we say, interoperable, but uh, still those challenges exist. The elusive, uh, yeah, the elusive single pane of glass still, right? Yeah, the elusive single pane of glass. And you have, you know, you have these, uh, you have these environments, you have the, you know, so-called infrastructure as a service environments. You have AWS and Microsoft Azure as as the classic examples. And basically, you know, that's the I'm going to say bare metal. It's it's probably not the right term for this uh, situation, but I'm going to call it bare metal. You, you, You you have this bare metal server, these server farms, the cloud you can build upon, but you still need the expertise to build upon those and, and be able to integrate those. 
Then you have these higher level services. You know, Salesforce.com, for example, has Force, and they also offer. Uh, they're offering. They're getting into the platform as a service uh, environment as well. Um, Netsuite is another example. You know, they're offering ways to build upon their environment. So everybody's kind of getting into this game, giving developers these tools to build within the specific domains. But you, you still need to be able to bring that all together. Yeah. Yeah. What's in the complexity of the world where we stand today, uh, going 2020 into 2021, what's a good way help enterprises as they're evolving really identify the correct cloud platform for them? Obviously, nothing is a, you know, 100% accurate or 100% given, but um, what are some practical ways that they should be thinking to get to that, you know, correct cloud platform? You know, that's, that's a tough one. Sometimes you have companies where every department sees a different cloud platform as its optimal platforms. You know, the marketing department may be, see Salesforce and they want to build more upon Salesforce and what's going on there. Um, the IT department may be using AWS. Uh, you know, other folks may be using Azure. And, um, you know, I, I'm not sure if it, it, it's really a good idea to go with one single provider, one single platform. I, I think it's actually probably a a better idea to have this mix of environments, these these uh, competing or these uh, different environments to provide more choices. I think what's happening now and what's really working to the advantage of companies is this choice. There's a lot of choices out there and choice is a great thing. It really is a great thing. You, you don't want to be relying on a single cloud vendor. You know, you know, AWS may have a, a credible array of services available and, and credible tools. That's great. But we need those choices. We need that competition in the market, those offerings to move us forward and and to assure that we have a way to move applications where they're needed. You know, if we're not satisfied with the, the cost structure or the services being delivered by one cloud provider, we need to have that option to, to shift to another cloud provider. I think choice is great. And, and that's what we have now. And I think, you know, it's great if it can stay in that state. So multi-cloud and hybrid really is a good strategy going into 2021 still. It it really is. It really is. You know, and it starts with, you know, backup and recovery, for example, business continuity. I've always said, you know, the ideal model would be if you're using the cloud for the bulk of the operations, it's great to be able to back up and restore from an on-premises environment. And if you're focused on on on-premises, use the cloud as your backup and restore it. It's great to be able to use both. We move into more business-centric applications, artificial intelligence, where you need that capacity. You know, it'd be great to be able to leverage the capacity, the, the, the resources of the best providers out there. You know, AWS provides a huge storage uh, capacity, for example, to store all that data, that big data that you need for AI. But there's other services, um, you know, Salesforce is Einstein, that, that provide more targeted AI type of functionality. Right. Um, you, you know, you need that variety. You need that um, ability to choose. And, uh, you know, I, I, I rue the day when, uh, you know, we see more consolidation. You know, hopefully it won't go that way. Hopefully we're going to continue to see a dynamic marketplace with a lot of choice. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think to kind of add on to that trend, too, I think we've seen more and more announcements of one cloud provider being able to ingest data out of another cloud provider for a big data platform. And it seems like there's a lot more interoperability taking place than there was before. So, so to some degree, you know, we see a lot of people saying, uh, or analysis paralysis, right? We don't know which cloud to go to. Now I think you can kind of hedge a little bit and say, well, if I end up in this storage, 
mechanism from this cloud provider, this other cloud provider can still consume it. So I think it is taking a lot of that risk out of there as well. Absolutely. That decision making. Absolutely. And I think it's noteworthy as well that just about every software application provider out there is coming from the cloud. I mean, I don't think anybody buys new applications um, for on premise anymore, you know, on, on, a, on a, a CD or a disc or whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, that yeah, just doesn't yeah. happen anymore. Everybody's coming from the cloud. So, you know, if you use uh, 100 applications in your enterprise, you may be using 100 different uh, sources, uh, cloud-based sources for your functionality. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, that, that that works. So so we're sitting in kind of a hybrid multi-cloud world. And, you know, we talked about analysis paralysis, and that's definitely a real thing. And so anybody going through that out there, that just that's normal just to understand that. But let's talk about some of the ways to identify the the correct cloud platform for some specific applications and workloads. You know, what are some of the kind of decision matrix that take place and, and kind of what is that mechanism that somebody can kind of go through to understand where the right landing place would be for those applications? I, I guess it depends where you're coming from, uh, you know, what kind of environment you're, you're moving out of. If you've been a primarily an on-premises environment with a a large development team in-house, um, you need to look at, again, that 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 kind of a bare metal type of uh, offering, that IAAS type of offering where, uh, you know, you can continue your development work. You know, you probably have a lot of proprietary applications or, or custom-built applications. You need to move forward. And you need that um, – you just need that foundation, that IAAS type of foundation that AWS or Azure – uh, even Google Cloud uh, provide to build on top of. So, you, need, you know, it, 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 it's called an iPaaS environment, you know, a, a platform as a service where you have the database and the development tools and everything on on the cloud. And uh, so for that, uh, for that kind of environment where you have a development-centric environment, you know, you need to look at these foundational type of environments, these foundational type of uh services. If you're a, perhaps a small to medium-sized business and, you know, you don't have a huge IT department, um, you need to look at those types of services, those types of providers that offer more back-end service, more service in the back-end, uh, you know, such as Salesforce, which provides a lot of that from the back-end. You know, it, it, again, it depends on where you're coming from, where your company's coming from. And, you know, it should be said that a lot of these companies, you have a lot of these companies with huge development departments. They produce a lot of software. You know, the automakers, for example, are becoming software companies. And, you know, you've heard it said before that every company is now becoming a software company. And I think to a degree in the process, every company is also becoming a cloud provider in its own right. You know, you have a financial service company, for example, that that puts apps out there and the apps provide services. Essentially, they're you know they're they're probably leveraging backend cloud services, but they're providing a service, a SaaS or a, a cloud-based service to their customer base. You know through apps or uh, through through mobile web or, or or whatever. You know it's it's you know they don't call it cloud. You know you may you know you may have insurance provider that's providing these these interfaces to its partners. You know so that they, they can see uh, what the rate schedules are and, and things like that. But they're not going to call a cloud service. You know, they're just it's a it's a it's a partner network or a, a an exchange or something of that, right? Yeah, yeah. I think you'll see. Uh, to your point, it's funny. We were just meeting with our CEO a couple of weeks back and talking about edge. You know, the more core and edge stuff, and that that will drive. I, I think it'll be symbiotic of one another, or one will drive the other, vice versa. You know, but that that will we'll see a lot of that uh, play out as companies become more 
shared ownership of data. Um, you know, they're not in the business of data collection. They don't want the risk. They want to move it somewhere else, but yet they want the data, all that kind of stuff as well. So yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. And the internet of things has really thrown this whole thing open as well. We have, uh, yeah, all this data coming in from your partners and good point there. Who owns the data? You know, if, if, yeah. you know, if an auto company has a, a sensor, if, if an insurance company rather has sensors that are planted within autos, um, who owns that data? Is the driver? Is it the insurance company? Is it the automaker? There's a lot of uh, things that need to be hashed out with that with the data. Compliance nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> compliance nightmare. Very much. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. We we do yeah. we talk a lot about compliance around here. It's only going to get more complicated as as this industry evolves. That is for sure. Yeah. 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 And um, I saw a formula once. Uh, I, I was on some, online somewhere where you calculated the, the the worth of your data, like your personal data. How much is that worth on the market? I think mine came to like eight dollars and twenty five cents or something. <laughs> That's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> low risk. Yeah. Low risk. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's an interesting. It's interesting times in in that regard. How if we take a step back and we look at the cloud providers today, AWS, Azure, GCP. What are some highlight benefits from your perspective that you've seen out there? You've written about, you've uh, provided some commentary. Um, yeah, benefits of each cloud provider. Are there you know benefits of one over another? Not to not to pit one against the other, but where you see some quick wins, especially in the enterprise, why one would stand out as opposed to another one? Well, um, you know, AWS really has had a. a a lot of the attention and a, a lot of the pioneering work, I guess you could say, in the cloud space has been coming out of a- AWS. They've been in this space since, uh, I'm going to say, 2004, 2005. Uh, they kind of pioneered the whole concept of uh, moving out of your data center and uh, relying on servers and uh, virtual servers, if you will, from uh, from another source from the cloud. And they've been really taking the lead with uh, with pioneering different concepts. They've you know lately they've moved to uh, a concept called Outposts, where you know if you if you need latency, if you're not close enough to an AWS data center, you need that latency. You can amplify the signal, if you will. You know they'll bring in a little, not a little, but they'll bring in a rack of servers for you, and the and the servers act as a, a local cloud that accesses uh, the other cloud. So AWS has the pioneering, uh, the innovator's edge. Uh, Microsoft Azure is an advantage because everybody has Windows, uh, Windows Server on site. They have a, a SQL Server databases. They have a Microsoft-centric development environments. So Azure is a, is easy to plug into these environments. Uh, you know, there's uh, the Windows uh, 365, the Microsoft mm-hmm. 365 services as well that has that uh include Word and uh, the productivity applications, which kind of tie in Azure, but not quite, but, uh, you know, a very similar type of concept. You know, you have these, everybody in the world, just about every company in the world for the past 20, 30 years has been a Microsoft-centric environment to some degree. Um, And Azure kind of flows into that. So you have that advantage there. GCP, you know, Google, of course, as with Amazon, is, is a real innovator. And, uh, they have the cost advantage. You know, typically Google services have been uh, free or close to free for many applications and many uses. And, uh, you know, they have they have that cost advantage as well as uh, being a highly innovative type of environment. So uh, among those three, you know, it's uh, some some interesting uh, choices. 
Yeah, sure. Thank you for that. I'm, I want to challenge question for you, not not to be too hard, but um, so sure. does the SOA manifesto still stand across? Does it matter which cloud you are or? That's a great question. You know, SOA, uh, service oriented architecture has been the, around for some time. It's it's, you know, people don't talk about it as much. It's kind of just kind of blended into the woodwork, blended into the foundation of things. We formulated the SOA manifesto with Thomas Earl uh, took the lead. Uh, Thomas Earl of uh, Arc, I'm going to mangle the pronunciation, Arcatua uh, Education. He's based on Vancouver. He's been he's written a lot of books and he pioneered the uh, the idea of uh, constructing a manifesto very similar to the Agile manifesto. You'll see a lot of similarities between the two. Uh, we met in Rotterdam back in 2009 and uh, came up with these concepts. Uh, we had just about every major vendor as, as, as well as some prominent analysts involved with the formulation of the principles. And I think for the most part, the principles still stand just as the Agile Manifesto, those principles still stand. And basically uh, what the SOA Manifesto says is, you know, don't build your IT as a monolith. You know, the IT needs to be responsive to the business. It needs to be more granular. You need to uh, build as the business, you need to grow your IT with the business and stay close to the business and stay focused on what the business needs. I think uh, the SOA manifesto is, uh, is like it's- it's the foundation of cloud. It's basically yeah. cloud is SOA commercialized. Yeah. <laughs> and- yeah, I would agree. I feel like we get lost sometimes and uh, we let the, the cool features and stuff drive, you know, our decisions where we need to go back and let the business drive what we make for decisions as opposed to the feature set driving, uh, you know, better decision or whatever, uh, you know, that, yeah. but, but I, I like that the SOA manifesto certainly uh, still stands the test of time here in the cloud world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. So Joe going into, you know, we're going into 2021 at this point and you obviously are out there doing a lot of research, talking to a lot of people. What are some of the uh, trends that you're seeing that are going to either continue, develop, or anything else? Any predictions that you'd like to share with us today? Okay, well, for those listening, uh, we did this. Uh, we did this session here at the end of uh, 2020, late December 2020. So we're wrapping up 2020, and what a what a year it's been! <laughs> what a year it's been, and and. Uh, for the IT industry, you know, uh, it's been actually a, a very – it's been a very forward-looking year for the IT industry. You know, we talked a lot about digital transformation. We've been talking about digital transformation for a decade now. And it's always been something that's been a, a little bit futuristic. You know, companies still have a lot of manual processes. Companies still have a lot of legacy uh, infrastructure, still a lot of uh, – work they need to do in terms of corporate culture and uh, adapting to the new environment. All of a sudden in the spring of 2020, like that, it's like, you know, if you're not digital, if you're not residing on the cloud, you're not going to be able to keep up with things. You're not going to be able to survive the impact of COVID, which is basically every company, every employee, uh, every knowledge worker, I should say, I, I need to clarify that every knowledge worker that's in an office was scattered uh, among this diaspora, uh, this corporate diaspora, if you will, um, across their homes uh, worldwide. It's a global pandemic, of course, and uh, it's a, a worldwide phenomenon. This this really was the ultimate test for the cloud. It was the ultimate test for digital capabilities, the ultimate test for the cloud. And 
And the fact that at this point, it's fortunate that a lot of companies were running on the cloud or relying on cloud services, which were uninterrupted. You know, COVID could not interrupt the performance, the services delivered by the cloud. You know, there was capacity issues, of course, with local networks uh, around neighborhoods, you know, where people were working out of their houses and so forth, uh, glitches like that. But nothing major really interfered with the performance of business. Um, the cloud, being on the cloud, really pulled a lot of businesses through this crisis. Um, it, it's, it, it's been really interesting to watch, you know, in terms of disaster recovery, uh, business continuity, um, working virtually. You know, if, if COVID had struck 10 years ago, it would have been an entirely different story. You know, we would the economy would have been in a lot of trouble. Um, and we're going to see that going forward. Look, looking forward in the 2021, you know, uh, you know, hopefully the things are going to clear up and uh, this nasty virus is going to become history sooner than better, sooner than later. But we're going to continue to see virtual work. We're going to really be accelerate, continue to accelerate in the cloud. We're going to continue to uh, move forward with uh, digital. And I, I've been calling it. You may have seen in some of my posts, I've been calling this phenomenon the, the contactless organization. You know, we talk about contactless uh, commerce and contactless shopping, and that's been the requirement that's been needed. Um, and that's what we're seeing now is a contactless organization where you can work virtually. You can tap into all these resources across the globe, you know, cloud-based resources, people resources. It doesn't matter where people reside anymore. It's 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 a it's a very global phenomenon, and it's been it's been interesting to watch, and we're going to see that develop. Yeah. And just as a little footnote to that, when we talk about virtual work, full time virtual work, I don't think it's a great thing for anybody under thirty five. <laughs> I don't think it's a great thing for anybody starting their career. We need we need to have people be able to go into offices and interact with each other and develop mentor relationships and things of that sort. But otherwise. It's, 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 it's a great thing. Virtual work is a great thing. You know, you just need to have that hybrid mix. Plus, if you're under 35, you might have some toddlers running around as well. Save yourself. Save yourself. Right, right. I could testify to that. Well, very good. Joe, really thank you for your time today. Uh, great insights that you've provided to our audience. We really appreciate that. Skip. Always good to see you and talk to you as usual. Yeah, likewise, Ian, and thanks, Joe. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Skip. Thank you, Ian. It's been great to be here with you. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And as always, for comments, suggestions, and ideas, please email us at cloudcrunch at secondwatch.com. You've been listening to Cloud Crunch with Ian Willoughby and Skip Berry. For more information, check out the blog, secondwatch.com slash company slash blog, or reach out to Second Watch on Twitter.